It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 804 of Locked On Raptors for uh, Wednesday. That's what it is, October the 14th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you are checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows covering every single team in the big four sports, as well as the Power NCAA conferences, and we very much appreciate when you take the time to support those shows leave ratings leave reviews all that good stuff it's much appreciated all right on today's show it's a guest i am very very excited to have on the podcast i've been teasing him for a few days now because i'm just so damn juiced for this episode it is the og raptors reporter it is the author of the soon to be released on october the 20th we the north 25 years of the toronto raptors it is of course from the toronto star doug smith doug how are you my friend i'm good sean how are you doing everything all right yeah, man, just uh, hanging Good. in, doing podcasts, talking about the Raptors. It's basically the same, just more inside. Um, <laughs> exactly. And I'm quite excited to read your book. And uh, we're just going to promote the hell out of it here on today's podcast. We're going to kind of dive in and have a little bit of fun with Raptors history. We'll talk about how the book all came together. It'll be uh, a grand old time. And we, I can't wait for the book to come out. Doug, maybe uh, before we get into that, just plug the book off the top. What should people know about it? Where can they get it? Well, it's, uh, you can pre-order Chapters Indigo, We the North Book. Um, Penguin Random House is a publisher. It's on also on Amazon. Pre-order ship on the 20th. It'll be on shelves on the 22nd, I'm told. And it's it's actually, uh, it's a it's not certainly laser-focused on the championship year. It's a story of 25 years and how it got, how the team got to where it is and how it was built, how it became a sports entity in Canada. And it's... I like the thing. It's like half uh, memoir, half uh, anecdotes, with a little bit of sociological uh, study thrown in there. So it's a, it's kind of wide ranging. It's certainly not laser focused on the one championship season. I, I'm excited to hear that as someone who uh, lived through the tormented years of the franchise. I like to relive the uh, the sad, dark parts. <laughs> I have far too much time for Dominic McGuire and uh, Roko Ukic. It's probably a problem, but uh, I'm looking forward to sort of getting... Uh, I, I think this would be good because there's a lot of Raptors fans, I think, who are kind of newer, right? Like the last couple of years, I think the championship run, I know there are certainly people in my life who became Raptors fans on a more sort of in-depth level 
in the last year or two and kind of don't really remember what it was like. Even like the We the North era fans who kind of came in when they got good in 2013-14, they don't really even, I think, appreciate the sort of stuff that all came before. Are you hoping that this might be sort of a an eye-opening look for those newer fans who maybe weren't aware of the sort of Glenn Grunwald, Kevin O'Neill, Rob Babcock times? Yeah, it, it's... As, as much the, the the progression of the, of the franchise as the people, frankly, because I think, yeah, every, you know, people who jumped on the bandwagon in 2013, 2014 have been absolutely spoiled by the success of the last half decade. This has been, you know, probably one of the most successful franchises in the entire NBA in the last little while. But the story of how it got here and the pain and the, the suffering and the, the ups and downs, the predictable ups and downs in a, in a relatively young sports franchise, I think that's a story that a lot of people, like you said, Sean, a lot, a lot of recent fans probably don't know. You know, the, the first game, the first bunch of coaches, the the you know they're lauded now for their social awareness and their their promotion of women in the organization. But that's that's not really new. They've been doing that for quite a long time. And mm-hmm. I think those kind of things, the, the the historical points that got to the team, got the team to where it is now, are are just as important as Kawhi Leonard to the growth of the, of the sport and of the franchise in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I can't wait to sort of dive into all those nitty gritty things from uh, the, the lead, the lead up because as much as the title was incredible, I, I really do feel as though, and it's not to say like bandwagon fans didn't have fun last year either. Right. I mean, how could you not? It was just incredible. And there's a reason it caught everybody's attention, but I do probably feel like there's a a more deep appreciation of just how absurd it was that the Raptors won an NBA championship because of all the stuff that happened before. And if you were a fan through the dark times or even through the We the North era where they have all these playoff losses and it feels like there's like, you know, half a dozen different inflection points where, you know, Kyle Lowry could be traded or he could leave as a free agent or they could blow it all up after losing to the Pacers in a potential game seven if it goes the other way. I, I do feel like that lead up is such a big part of the story. And my hope is that, you know, not only will people who are long term fans of this team really appreciate a sort of deeper dive on the lead up to that title, but also newer fans can kind of maybe grow their appreciation of how crazy it was and how unlikely it all kind of was that they ended up doing what they did last year because I still can't really believe it. We're two days away from them not like being the champions anymore. And it still is, uh, <laughs> it still is wild to me. Um, yeah, Doug, the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah the, the journey is the most fun of it, I think. And I've always thought that from day one, that it was, it's all the, you know, the, the, the fun parts, the bad parts, it's all part of the trip. And the trip is the thing. I think the thing people have to enjoy, it's never, it, it may not end in a championship ever again. And we were, you know, if Kawhi's shot bounces five times and goes out and they lose, well, does that diminish what happened in the five years before that? I really think it's it's the journey and it's a 25-year journey that's been the fun of this thing. You know, the championship absolutely is grand and it's a seminal moment and it's emotional and it's a thing people will remember for the rest of their lives. But all the stuff that happened to get it there, is just as important. And I think it in a lot of ways was just as fun. And I think the, you know, the struggles were real in that era after, after Vince and before 20, before 2013, that, that, that was, there were some down years in there, but it's all part of the journey and you wouldn't, it would diminish the championship if you didn't have those bad times to uh, kind of 
as points of reflection, points of emphasis, uh, points of, hey, if this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen. You know, nothing in sports is linear, but you can see how it got to where it was from where it came. Totally. Um, Speaking of where things came from, Doug, I'm really curious sort of about the process of how this book came together because I mean, you've been on the beat since day one. You have covered this team, written more words about this team than anybody else. Obviously you're the person to write this book. There's not even a, a close to another option. I'm curious, like, is this something that you had kind of been secretly preparing for your entire time on the beat? Like, Hey, if ever there's a book and they win an unlikely championship in 2019 and you know, there's yeah. all of this stuff, like, have you been kind of keeping a notebook of, all right, this is book stuff. I'm not putting that in the, in the star today. Um, or is it something that kind of came together later on? Then you realized, Oh crap, I have all this stuff, all this knowledge, all these anecdotes from my time with the team and covering them. You know, and it was just kind of easy to put together. I mean, no, no book is easy to put together. I'm just kind of curious, you know, sort of your process on it because, you know, it feels like you could, could have gone multiple ways with it. Yeah, well, actually, Sean, we figured, and Pango Random House and I talked a little bit about this, you know, after the championship, but before we got anything done officially, was 25 years was the right time. Mm-hmm. It was whether they had won the championship or not, a quarter of a century and from where the Raptors and basketball are in Canada from that from 95 until now. That's, that's the story. And I think that's what we wanted to tell. The championship obviously was the big, the hook. That's the thing that will drive people. I hope to buy the book, but we always thought that the, the, the journey, the process was just as important. I always thought it was too. I hadn't, I can't say that 10 years ago, I thought, Hey, I can't wait to do a book on the 25th anniversary. (laughs) <laughs> but I always thought, but I always thought there was a story to be told about the growth of the game and the growth of the team, and the fact that they won the championship gave us the right time, and the 25th anniversary season gave us the right hook to to, to get something out there that had a had a demarcation point. That this is after 25 years they win a championship. How did that happen? And I think that's what we that's what we decided at the end was the way to go. You, know, you could easily done one a diuretic piece on last year, easily on the championship mm-hmm. year. You could have done, you know, 65,000 words on that season alone, but it would have been not really telling the tale of the team. And that's what we wanted to do. Totally. Um, we're going to get more into sort of how the book came together and dive into some fun Raptors history stuff in just a second. But first I want to tell everybody about built bar, which is the best tasting protein bar you're ever going to try. They've got six brand new flavors as well. Joining their original complement of 12 excellent flavors. Their new ones include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Joining their original cast of flavors, including my favorite in the world, toffee almond. Get yourself some toffee almond. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew, and they're great for the health-conscious person as well. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a very, very tasty treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for keto diets as well. And the new flavors, they're just pretty good for you, honestly. The Cherry Barcia, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. Cookies and cream, the exact same profile as well. And on the whole, Built Bars have 7 times less sugar than Cliff Bars. Get on it right now. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN to get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. 
After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Doug, let's uh, let's keep on diving in here to the construction of We the North. Again, get your pre-orders right now. Amazon, Indigo, all that good stuff. October 20th, shipments go out. And as Doug said, the 22nd, it should be on shelves. Doug, Vince Carter writes the foreword for this book, which is an interesting choice. It seems like a logical choice, obviously, but maybe 10 years ago would not be the logical choice considering the relationship between him and the team. We've talked a lot on this daily podcast where we sometimes have to talk about things over and over again about Vince Carter and sort of his complex legacy with the team. And, you know, I think at this point, most hatchets have been buried. I'm just curious, you know, what was Vince's level of excitement to do this? You know, what what was the reasoning behind wanting him to be the guy who put the forward down? Obviously, his impact on the team is immeasurable, impact on Canada basketball, all of that. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. But what was the sort of decision-making process? Because there are plenty of options who could have written that as well. Yeah, there were options. And we absolutely, you know, we had a lot of discussion uh, amongst myself, my editors, and me about who would do it, who we could ask whether they could would be able to to do it well but you can't you can't have the story of the raptors in 25 years without a very significant part from vince carter because he is part of the reason the franchise still exists and he went through you know a lot of very good times a lot of very bad times he went through those you know he he had this sort of he was like the redemption story now he at one point was one of the top five most popular athletes on earth when he played in toronto and then wasn't, and then was vilified here, but now is, I think, appreciative for what he did, not only for the team, but for the game. And I think that was, that was the tipping point for me when I asked him to do it, and he was quite willing to as soon as we kind of broached it with him. Um, it, it's, you can't tell the story of the Raptors without getting some insight from him, and having his own words to start it, I think, are pretty, I think was pretty important. And I don't think... You know, we could have got Isaiah, we could have had Mazai, Damar, a, a ton of people, Dwayne Casey, Sam Mitchell, a ton of people could have done it, but I think Vince was the right guy. Yeah, hard to argue with that. I mean, he's still, you know, I think Kyle Lowry is clearly the best rapper of all time now, but in terms of just like importance for the franchise, I mean, just frankly surviving a really dark era, I don't know if they get through that time without Vince, and then... Obviously, his departure triggers a real sort of downspell as well for the team. And so, Doug, I want to kind of go back to that. The 0405 season, I believe, is the year Vince gets traded. And it's like a very, very messy breakup. We all know it right now. 
I'm just kind of curious for you kind of being in that. And maybe there are some things in the book on this. I would assume there probably are. Don't give away too much. But, um, you know, what were your sort of experiences on the beat covering the team at that time? We've talked on this podcast to, you know, Glenn Grunwald about sort of his perspective on that whole thing and how that all transpired. And, you know, obviously the difficult circumstances that the Raptors were under. But, um, you know, what was sort of your view of that situation as it was playing out and setting the Raptors up for many, many years of not being very competitive. Well, I think we were all, anybody close to the team who covered that, that group and they had covered it and was going to cover it. were absolutely stunned by the lack of return they got for a, an, an, a, like a star, star, star player that, 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 that one. And I don't like to speak ill of the dead and I respect Rob Babcock because he's a very, very good man. But that single day in Indianapolis when they made that trade showed just how overmatched he was as an NBA general manager. Right. Because he got absolutely taken on a trade that he did not have to make in November of the season. That, that, that's, that early in the season, December, I guess it was, he didn't have to make that trade that day. But he did, and I think that's when we thought, oh, my God, this, 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 this team is overmatched in the front office. <laughs> and as it turned out, it was. And I think we knew it that day. I remember this is in the book and I've said it, I've told the story often we were in the, in the, in the arena and the team comes in, Vince isn't with it because the trade had happened. And Jalen Rose walks by me and he says, Doug, Jalen's speechless. That's the first time ever. <laughs> I says, Jalen got no words. And I, you know, I, neither, neither did we, like there was nothing you could say or do at that point, except wow, that's what they got. No respect, no disrespect to, the two Williams, the draft pick that became Joey. Alonzo Mourning was never coming. It was cat ballast. It was never, it was never, it was just that that's one of the great false narratives of the NBA is that he refused to show. He was never going to come anyway. And the Raptors knew it. Mm-hmm. So that was the media reaction. The day, the day of the trade was they got what for him. And here we go. This thing's going in the toilet. And it did for you know, what four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that time, like that trade, you can kind of very clearly predict like what the fallout's going to be, where it's like, oh yeah, this is bad. They've got uh, nothing coming back in return, and they have just shipped out one of the most popular players they've ever had. It's going to be a nightmare for the next little while as they recover from this, if they can at all. Whereas there are other sort of inflection points in the Raptors history that aren't quite as clear and obvious. I'm curious, like another big trade, obviously we talked about it a little bit, is sort of the turnaround in 13-14 when they make that Rudy Gay trade. Um, what was your sort of read on that? Were you on the road with the team at the time? Because that took place while they were out in California. And sort of what was the yeah. feeling around that trade? Because I don't imagine it was a similar thing where you can kind of see the road in front of you after that deal. If anything, it was a road that led towards a full-on blow-up and, and a trading of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan potentially in the near future instead. Um, but sort of what was the feeling when that trade went down, and was it like a similar doomed feeling for the franchise before things obviously perked up? No, it really wasn't because... Yeah, we were we were we were in California in Los Angeles, standing in line to get into clear security at Staples Center when our phones buzzed, and in the cab on the way to the arena with the trades done. This has happened. Uh, Mike Norai, who was an old time Raptor assistant, was an assistant at Sacramento that time. So I got on the phone with him because we didn't know what was coming. We didn't know who else was in it. He sort of filled me in. I think the the the, the, the media reaction to that trade was okay. Something had to happen, and this is what it was. And good for Mazai for getting out from under the money. That that was a, it was a 
in that respect, it was a good trade because you could see it was clearing a, a situation that wasn't working. Damar and Rudy were not going to be good teammates. It wasn't going to be long-term successful. And we did not know at that point which one would get traded, really. But once it did, it sort of cleared up, okay, this is the direction they're going. And now is, are they going to trade Kyle in the next 10 days or not? Didn't, and it turned out to be a masterstroke of pure luck. Because mm-hmm. if the trade for Kyle Lowry to the Knicks goes through, we're certain, I don't think, we're not talking about a book. We're talking about a franchise that sort of, who knows where it would have gone. But the, the Rudy Gay trade was, okay, they picked which one they want to keep, and now let's see what they're going to do to blow it up or build around it and how this will work. And it turned out to, you know, it was, a, 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 as a basketball move, it was genius because that group seemed to click somehow. For no, I have no idea why. I don't think Casey knew why. I don't think Mazai knew why, but it just did. And it started them on the path and ended with the two and a half million people at a parade. Oh, man, wasn't that fun? People, uh, yeah. strangers. I miss those people. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, that trade is forever bewildering to me, but uh, we can, we, we, we've rehashed that one quite a bit on this podcast, so we'll keep jumping around here. Um, Doug, you know, you've been on the beat for forever and have, you know, obviously cultivated all the relationships that you have. Do you have a, uh, a favorite person? Maybe he's in the book. Maybe they're not. Um, you know, he or she, are they, or just sort of through your time kind of interacting with people through the team. Is there someone who particularly stands out to you as like, that's my favorite person I've ever dealt with? And, you know, th- whatever it is, maybe they were a great interview. Maybe they were just like good people. What, what sort of stands out to you among your time covering the team is just like the real ones who you could talk to forever. Well, there, there's three that come immediately to mind. Uh, Alvin Williams, who was this quiet guy who wouldn't say a word, but just played hard and you respected him as an athlete. He played hurt. He never quit. He just played. It was a, a good guy. Now, you know, back then we went to interview him. He wouldn't speak. No, you can't shut him up. He's on TV every time I turn <laughs> around. And I love the guy. And I tell him this every time I talk to him, like, dude, if you were like this as a player, we would have made you more famous. What's going on? <laughs> But he grew up. He would be one. Uh, DeMar is absolutely my favorite because I watched him grow up from a 19-year-old kid who was really shy, really quiet, really unaware into this hugely important figure in the NBA for the mental health issues that he's brought Mm -hmm. to the forefront and a guy who's endured in the league for, what, 11 years now? Mm -hmm. 12 years? He's played a long time and is is still a very, very good player. But watching him grow up, and I saw him basically go from a teenager into a man seven days a week during a season. That was, I was really proud of how he became what he is. And I, he will go down as my favorite Raptor because he was, he had interesting things that were important to him away from the game, but he never, never cheated the game. He would get you 50 on a Tuesday night against Charlotte (laughs) whenever he wanted to go home, but he, he never cheated the game. And I appreciate him, and he would be he would be my favorite Raptor of all time right now. Mm-hmm. And the third one is Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell's a fascinating guy. Mm-hmm. Another guy who won't shut up ever, <laughs> but he has and he has strong opinions, and you can argue with him. And I have argued with him about life and politics and basketball and strategy and this guy and that guy, and you know, heated arguments. And at the end of the day, we're still friends. And I think mm-hmm. that's a a very important thing in covering a team is that you can get at a guy. He can get at you, 
you respect each other. And at the end of it, you just, you maybe go get a beer. Yeah. I, I talk, I talk to Sam a lot still, uh, you know, maybe once a week, just checking in how you doing. And we may never talk about the Raptors, but we'll talk about how his family is, what life is, the election, politics, mm-hmm. things. He's a fascinating guy. And I'm pretty lucky. You know, I, there's obviously Wayne Embry is the, the, uh, the icon, but he came late and didn't have an impact on my life as much as Sam and Damar and Alvin did. Those would be the three. Embry is the most fascinating man this franchise has maybe ever employed and maybe ever will. Yeah. Um, so it's those kind of guys who are, have interests and impact away from the court that I think I, I tend to gravitate to. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Have you talked at all to DeMar since the trade? I'm, I'm assuming you probably have, you know, just sort of checking in with him and sort of how he yeah. observed the, the title and all that stuff. Yeah. I talked talk to him an awful lot after the championship and then I still maybe every once, every three weeks, I'll just send him a quick text. Hey, how are you doing? How are the yeah. girls? How's life? That kind of thing. He knew that now the trade hurt him because he didn't see it coming. He didn't think it was going to come. And it, it, it it woke him up to some really, really harsh realities of the business of basketball. Right. And I think that bo- it, it still bothers him. I don't think he and his eye are ever going to go have dinner, but I think he understands that something had to happen and he's very happy for the people who are here, the people that he knows he's, you know, he talks to Kyle pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. He's still in touch with Casey. He's still in touch with a lot of guys from the organization and he's very, very happy for them as, as I knew he would be because he knows how hard it is to win a championship how lucky you got to get. And, you know, maybe if the brakes fall his way, he gets one, but if it doesn't, he's very happy for all his pals who did. And he, I think that's, that's the one, uh, emotion that sort of, uh, I get from him every time we talk. Awesome. I, tomorrow's the best. I, uh, I'm secretly rooting for him to come. I, I know with him in Maasai not being on uh, speaking terms, it might be a little tough to finesse, but, uh, bring him back mid-level, uh, <laughs> Bring him off the bench. I don't care. I would root for Demar for the rest of time if I could. <laughs> there'd be a lot. There'd be a lot worse choices out there. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. We are going to finish up our chat with the great Doug Smith in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Roman. Look, it can be awkward or embarrassing to talk about erectile dysfunction. Usually, you'll just brush it off or blame yourselves. But Roman is here to get you the advice you want and to help you with no need for any. Shame. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free shipping in two days. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and get, get a complete online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, and now there is Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. And again, get rid of any shame because there's no need for shame whatsoever. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. Get up to $50 off your first month of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn for up to 50% off your first month of ED treatment. Once again, that's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. 
or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Um, so Doug, let's, uh, sort of, I, I want to get into some of your favorite stories and stuff. You know, this book is going to be littered with anecdotes and I'm sure anyone who's ever been edited before knows that sometimes you have to, uh, as it's called in the business, you have to kill your darlings and it's, you, you don't love it, but there are oftentimes things that are uh, wonderful stories that you think are great that sometimes get put to the cutting room floor because they don't fit in a word count or whatever it might be. Um, so I'm curious, Doug, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of amazing stuff in this book, but is there something that did not quite make it in uh, a thing that's on the cutting room floor, a different anecdote, some, something that might've happened while you're on the road, whatever it might be. Is there something that, uh, really stands out as a thing that you wish could be in the book, but is not. There was probably another chapter and a half on Charles Oakley alone that didn't <laughs> quite make it. You know, Oaken suspended in a preseason game for punching Tyrone Hill. The whole Tyrone Hill gambling debt for the entire season of 2000-2001 would have been, is a fast is a, is a very cool story, but in the context of 25 years and the way we structured the book, I, I think Oak got short-tripped. And I feel a little bit bad about that because he's a character and the game is populated by characters. And I think if, if there's one, if there's one I want to, I would like to take back. It would, it would be more Oakley in there. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of other stuff in there. But yeah, there, Oak would be the guy. Oak would be the thing that I think probably got a little bit short shrift. What is this Tyrone Hill gambling debt thing? Is this like common knowledge? Oh yeah, it was, it was the season they played Philly in a playoff. So the 2001 season that they, they yeah there was there was Tyrone Hill owed him money from a. Uh, card game or some gambling debt <laughs> the entire season and they were at each other's throats and oak was you know adamant that he was going to get paid somehow and you know he, he i think he had a fight with tyron hill in a preseason game in chapel hill to start the year and on the sunday morning of the final of the game seven against uh philadelphia tyron hill was playing for the sixers he showed up at the team hotel the raptor team hotel in philly with a brown paper bag full of cash to pay oak the money he owed him <laughs> And it was an ongoing story. It had been for the entire series and most of the season. And I remember going up to Oak afterwards and saying, dude, you got, you got your money. It must be happy. He goes, no interest. That ain't paid, baby. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing. That kind, of, that kind of Oak story. Yeah. Oak, uh, you know, Alec Radoy. Remember Alec Radojevic uh, was the draft pick they got the year that they traded for Antonio Davis. And they, they Very sadly, Radojevic. I do remember, yes. <laughs> they picked him 11th. I think he ended up having more back surgeries than NBA baskets. But he was, we were at training camp one year in Vancouver, and there had to be six or seven of us at this really, really nice restaurant in Robson on the second floor called Chin Chin. Mm-hmm. And Alex came in by himself, ended up joining us and picking up the tab. And we, you know, he was a rookie. He wasn't, he wasn't anybody big. But when we said, you know, thank you, man. Why do you do that? He goes, well, I play in the NBA. I make a lot more money than you guys. I should be able to buy you dinner. Now, that, that's a, those are the kind of good guys out there that, that the, the stories, yeah, I've told it, I've told that story over the years, but every time you tell us, some people go, Oh yeah, what really? That's, that's really nice of him. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of guys this team seems to have attracted far more often than not. 
Yeah, there is a, a long and storied history of reserve big men being uh, absolute favorites. Uh, this is sort of something I think about Doug all the time is trying to determine which player has like the highest fan appreciation per minute played in team history. Um, there are certainly some candidates. I'm wondering if you have an inkling on, as someone who's been around these guys and sort of seen the adulation they've all received, is there someone who stands out to you as, oh yeah, that guy, the fans loved him the most out of anybody based on the amount of time he actually spent with the team? Well, I think Jerome Williams will be on that list. Yep. But I think the guy who would top it would be Muggsy Bogues, right. who was beloved, beloved here in Toronto, and I think played 86 games total for the Raptors. If that, mm. like mm. he wasn't a long time, he wasn't a lifer, but he's still the guy when he comes back, people gravitate to him because he's Muggsy for his impact in Toronto was rather relatively minimal compared to a lot of other guys. So as if you're doing minutes played and, and, and contribution to the team, I think Muggs would probably be at the top of the, why is he their list? I haven't considered Muggsy. I usually throw Bismack as my, uh, as my answer for that because man, do the people love that. Yeah. Team. But yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He'd be one for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think I think Muggsy. You put him in a he goes he comes to games now and people mock yeah. him. Yeah, and he's been yeah. out of the game for ten years. Yeah, um, Doug. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Still, love hearing stories from you. So I'll, I'll try to elicit a couple more. Um, you've been on the road. Uh, I think a little bit less often recently as uh, sort of things have changed in the biz and all that stuff. But you've been on the road with the team for a large chunk of its history. Um, who's your favorite Raptors beat guy to go on the road for beers with and why? Wow. <laughs> There's been so many. Um, and don't probably, worry about offending anybody like Gumby no, no, will I, I survive think, if we don't shout out Gumby. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go with my old pal, Billy Harris from the sun. Cause we okay. covered the team in the 16 and 66 year. And we did probably did 40 of the 41 road games together. 35, maybe. And it was a slog, but we'd always had the end of the night. We'd always grab a cocktail after the game. We get a couple of beers. We were on this story. I'm sure I, I know this story is in the book and I've told it very many times. Bill Harris and I were on the drinking to forget tour at the end of that 16 and 66 season where they played games <laughs> in, I think Milwaukee, Washington, Atlanta, and Philly. Uh, I think that was no Atlanta, Atlanta, then Washington, and then Philly. Atlanta, Oliver Miller's goofing with the mascot during a timeout. Butch Carter doesn't take well to this at all. They suspend him for the game in Washington because of conduct detrimental to the team. We go to Philly, and all of a sudden, Oliver's heart starts acting up, and they wheel him out on a stretcher before the game at the, with the Sixers. And and we, it was one of those things where it was like lost weekend over a 10-day period. Mm-hmm. Because all we did was deal with crap and have beers. Billy Harris was a <laughs> Billy Harris, a good guy in a job with. That's a that's a great answer. I, uh, I I'm sorry, Gumby, you didn't get the the, the honor. But no, I, I'm curious, Doug. Like doing those seasons early on when I think it was still very clear. And I mean, this, Toronto's media still kind of suffers from this, where like a lot of people in Toronto media still have hockey brain. Um, that don't really know how to cover basketball super well. I think it's obviously changed as the coverage landscape has gotten far more uh, sort of advanced and just sort of the understanding of basketball. But I'm wondering for you, like, 
did it frustrate you in like the second and third year of the team's existence? You're like one of the only people that they're grinding at every single day. You know the team. You're covering it every single day. Did it bother you when people would just like barge in with, hey, "Okay, here's my one take of the year that I'm gonna you know put out there"? Because I can imagine like from the sort of uh, just like the unindoctrinated basketball crowd, it, it would probably be quite frustrating to see those people jump in when you are sitting there with like the daily goods on everything that's going on with the team. Or was that even a problem? I don't know. It just seems like to me there was certainly uh, some sort of, again, hockey brain kind of taking over a lot of the coverage in the early days. There was a, there was a lot of eye rolling and a lot of, oh, I got to walk away from this grump so I'm going to say something kind of thing. <laughs> few more, I don't remember too many specific, but the thing, I, I always seem to have had a good relationship with coaches. And back in those early days with Brendan Malone, Daryl Walker, Butch Carter, you can always, you always, you wouldn't have to talk them off the ledge, but I always be able to say to them, look, dude, the guy's got to ask that question. Here's why. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. You're not going to have to answer that kind of stuff very often. And, you know, they were frustrated. I, I giggled at it and thought, oh, man eventually it's going to get better. And it did. And, you know, this team is as well covered as any in professional sports by very knowledgeable and diverse people. There is anything any reader on the Raptors wants, he or she can find. Mm-hmm. Breakdowns of minutiae about plays, personality stories, big picture stuff, context stuff, uh, uh, contextual takes uh, are all out there. This team the way the Raptors are covered today is it makes me proud to be in the business because it is so varied and so good. And it, it, there were times when it wasn't, but it's, it's unbelievably well covered. You can find anything you want about the Raptors at the drop of a hat every day during the season. You can even find silly podcasts, uh, with dumb hosts like me, uh, which is great, I guess for me, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, this, this, every, every possible, level of fandom is well served by mm-hmm. by the people who cover the Raptors. Oh, it's and, and, and if you yeah, accept that if if you're one of us and you accept that, you're very happy for that. You're very proud of it. You don't get resentful or oh I hate his stuff because it's different than mine or I don't like her take because it's different than mine. You sort of relish in and go, man, these people, these readers are and viewers and listeners are lucky that they get so many different voices and so many different nuances of how of what happened in a game uh, that, that's people in toronto i think the raptor fans have been spoiled by the team's success and i think the readers and viewers and listeners have been spoiled by the depth of coverage because it's it's unprecedented to me i've been you know, mm-hmm. i've been around this league a long time and do a lot of work even now on the road and read and see and talk to other teams this team is very fairly and well and diversely covered and it's really really cool i couldn't agree with you more man it's uh it's really really cool to be like a small part of it and then to see that there's like i don't know six people who cover the charlotte hornets and realizing how insanely lucky the raptors fans are i mean i benefit from it i get to read everyone's great stuff i get to read your awesome book uh which i can't wait to check out and you know they're the the diversity and the excellence of raptors coverage isn't no small part due to you kind of laying the the pathway, Doug. Yeah. I, although I got to ask you a question here, Doug, uh, before I compliment you more. Are you aware of your sort of uh, cameo appearance in like a constant Raptors online phrase that gets uttered after uh, a playoff game in which the Raptors miss a bunch of threes? Are you aware of this? 
Uh, no, I'm not. I don't think. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> fill me so, in here. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, say the Raptors shoot like you know ten of forty from three in a playoff game. You know the the common refrain is to go, "It's a make or miss league." But Raptors fans often will go, "It's a make or miss league, Doug," because it's always uh, a reference to Dwayne Casey answering your first question in the presser after a game like that. Uh, you know, it's a make or miss league, Doug, and we have to always shout out the OG uh, as we do it because uh, <laughs> yeah. <that's> yeah. <laughs> I, I did not know that, but I'm. Uh, it's, it's very true, as a matter of fact. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that's what it is. I think. I think people. I think fans have a tendency to, well, overreact, mm-hmm. and everything is life or death, and it's not. Some days you're going to make them. Some days you're going to miss them, Doug. And <laughs> life goes on. You play again tomorrow. Well, I'm glad I could uh, let you in on that little corner of a uh, diseased Raptors fan brain uh, and uh, <laughs> know what's in the loop. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really awesome chatting with you. Uh, again, We the North, 25 years of the Toronto Raptors. Go and buy it right now, wherever fresh books are sold. Uh, Doug, thanks so much, man. Anything, uh, any parting shots, any last things that people should know? No, I don't think so, except uh, let's get let's get a season back on, on track in January and let's have 25 more good years and maybe I'll be around and read somebody's 50th year book. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, Doug, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, Sean. Thanks very much for having me. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.